Welcome to episode two of EW's Binge of Harry Potter. I'm Mark Snedeker. And I'm Molly Smith. And today is all about enemies of the air. So beware. If you're an enemy of the air, turn us off. You better beware. And then turn us back on, actually, please. (laughs) Um, Chamber of Secrets. we got a fun show planned today. Uh, We have a very special guest I'm very excited about. I believe last week I said that he had a lot of flash. This week I'll say he is ready for his close-up. Ooh. The little Gryffindor himself, Colin Creevy, is calling in to tell us all about what it was like to be petrified and <laughs> how he got killed off. Now, we're primarily talking about the movie here, as we will be for the rest of the series. But Mark, why don't you start us off by talking a little bit about when the book first came out? A little pertinent info for you here first. Uh, July 2nd, 1998, two days before July 4th, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is released in the UK. And it comes out in America on June 2nd, 1999. So strangely enough, Chamber of Secrets was already out in the UK um, a solid two months before... Sorcerer's Stone even came out in the States. That was September 1st, 98. Mm-hmm. So Britain knew a hell of a lot more about the Chamber and Harry, and they knew who Tom was. They Riddle were starting was. to piece it all together. They were piecing it all together, and Dumbledore and McGonagall had not even gotten a private drive over here yet. <laughs> um, the movie wouldn't come out until November 15th, 2002. So a solid four years after the UK release, which is not actually that long if you think about it. No, not in movie terms. Yeah. I mean, we're already planning like Disney movies like 10 years from now. (laughs) Chamber of Secrets is all about the second year at Hogwarts. Essentially, I guess you could describe it as a bunch of messages start appearing on the walls, right? That's when things start to get a little crazy. Messages are being written on the walls of Hogwarts in blood warning that a weird thing called the Chamber of Secrets has been opened and that the heir of Slytherin is going to kill everyone who was not born in an all-magical blood family. So the second installment was really, like, lighthearted, you know, a happy little follow-up to Sorcerer's Stone. Super fun. (laughs) You know, nobody actually dies. They just get petrified. It's, like, super light. But Mm -hmm. also, to the brilliance of J.K. Rowling, what a nice little ease in into, you know, straight-up murder. Right now, it's just petrification. Mm -hmm. Everything is chill. So yeah, bodies start to pile up over the year, um, but they're petrified, leaving Harry and Ron and Hermione with a little assist from some friends like Hagrid and Neville Longbottom and And Dobby. And a diary. And a diary. Well, that wasn't an assist. That was more like the biggest obstacle. Yeah. (laughs) But it it was an assist. But Harry thinks it's an assist at first. He does. So it leaves them to investigate what happened. I love Chamber of Secrets, um, first off, because I think thematically... It's so much richer than Sorcerer's Stone, and it is the next, you know, building block into this really dark story. This one is all about identity. Mm-hmm. It is about racism, truly. Yeah. Um, it's about prejudice. It's about, you know, this this rivalry in the wizarding world that we see illustrated, reflective of kind of our world. You know, there's there's a lot of hatred for Muggleborns, as we learn. There are slurs against Muggleborns. And it's a a little bit of a layer peel back onto the wizarding world overall. Absolutely. And I think what's so great about Chamber in particular is that, you know, Sorcery Stone sort of lays the building blocks, right? And here you really get to dig into everybody. And I loved what you said about identity because here Harry's really starting to wonder who he is. I mean, he's finding all these things out about himself and his abilities and questions whether he should be in Gryffindor or if he should have been in Slytherin and, and all of that. And he finds out he's a parcel tongue, which is huge in this book. 
Right. We get a real big taste of a piece of who Harry is. We've, you know, he can talk to snakes, which is you know, kind of cool, I guess, in a weird way. We get the um, kind of backstory of the four houses of Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. We learn that Slytherin is not just a house associated with being bad, that the guy who founded it is truly bad. And we start to tease what it means to have evil in your blood. And can you escape your identity? Can Harry... Thinking he's the heir of Slytherin, can he trounce that? Is Gryffindor more in his blood? Interestingly, we get to meet young Lord Voldemort, which I think is the biggest kind of revelation Absolutely. about Chamber of Secrets. We get to see what he was like at school, and we sort of learn Lord Voldemort did not always start out as this giant behemoth of, of, a, of a mystery man. He was a kid. He was, he was just a, a regular kid. kid like you and I. At Hogwarts. A kid with a rebellious side, but a kid nonetheless. And a handsome kid, if we're talking about that movie. Mm. Oh, is it weird that I find Voldemort, like, super hot in this? No. And I always wonder, like, (laughs) did they do the right thing by casting Voldemort so hot? Like, you know that was a choice. You know what I mean? yeah. They were probably down to, like, headshot A, this super hot guy, and headshot B, like, Steve (laughs) Buscemi. You know what I mean? So let's jump into today's structure for the show. The 10 most important people Harry Potter meets in the Chamber of Secrets. Molly, who is the 10th most important person Harry Potter meets this book? Oh, number 10 has got to be the house elf Dobby. Ugh. I know. <laughs> 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 Such an honour it is. Who are you? Dobby, sir. Dobby the house elf. He's a house elf to the Malfoy family, to Lucius and Draco and Narcissa, who we haven't met yet, but we know later on. Um, and he's the one who really kind of kickstarts it all. You know, Harry all summer hasn't been receiving letters from his friends. He's like, where are they? It turns out Dobby's been keeping them and he pops up at the Dursley home and lets Harry know that he best not be returning to Hogwarts. I hate Dobby. Okay, I need you to tell me why. <laughs> I know that's a very, like, come at me. Don't tweet me. That's like, a real hot take, and I need you to explain yourself. One, I would never touch Dobby. <laughs> like, never touch him. I, it's bad enough he sits on my bed. I don't let people who are on the subway sit on my bed. He sits on my bed, and I'm like, I I would never touch Dobby, first off. Two, he is described as being three feet tall with bat-like ears and green eyes the size of tennis balls. Now, I know Harry just got into the wizarding world and he's still learning that, like, things exist that he never thought existed. This thing shouldn't exist in any world, just, (laughs) like, aesthetically. And then number three, Dobby just, like, ruins Harry's day from the get-go. He he keeps all the letters. He blocks the barrier wall to get into um, platform nine and three quarters. He, like, curses a bludger to knock Harry off his broom once he's already there. Yeah, that's a pretty aggressive move. The Bledger, I thought, was too far. It was too far. Harry was already there. I mean, the crux is Dobby overheard the Malfoys plotting to, you know, open the chamber. So Dobby's a good guy. He decides to go warn Harry. But, like, where does he get off suddenly becoming so allegiant to Harry? Why was he so loyal from the very beginning? I think Dobby just has a good sense of right and wrong. And you see him really struggle with that because as he's helping Harry, he's like beating himself up for defying his master. But I, okay, I get what you're saying about Dobby. Like, yes, he looks real gross, but he has good intentions. How can you hate him for that? He does. And he has better intentions in in like 
Deathly Hallows when the CGI improved a little yeah. more. <laughs> so you like Dobby when he has like good CGI. I just honestly, I would just never touch Dobby. <laughs> if I didn't already leave Hogwarts because of the ghosts, I would leave Hogwarts because of Dobby. Also, he's making my food. It's a whole thing. I mean, either way, Dobby kicks everything off and he is such an important character. He does not want Harry to go back to Hogwarts. No. But lo and behold, Harry still goes to Hogwarts. Uh, and that brings us, I think, to character number two, who isn't really a character, like, let's be real. But um, Number nine. Sorry. <laughs> character number nine, who isn't really a character, but, it, I mean, he's a character to me. Or it's a character. It's kind of gender neutral. It is the Whomping Willow. <laughs> the Whomping Willow. Which, um, so let's do a little bit of, of, of history here of the Whomping Willow. Obviously, you know it as the tree Harry and Ron crash the car into when they get to Hogwarts. Did you know... The Whomping Willow was planted in 1971 to disguise the secret passageway to the Shrieking Shack to allow Remus Lupin to get in and out and transform. Very fun fact. It, is it fun or is it kind of like scary as hell? Like, like Hogwarts knew they had a werewolf. Oh, so what are we going to do? You know what? Let's build a passageway to a town and like hide it under this giant tree. There had to have been an easier way. I can't get over how dangerous Hogwarts is. Like, it's amazing to me. Right. Like the Whomping Willow is like... The Whomping Willow and the Bludger incident that you just mentioned. Like, I just think about how protective parents can be, you know? And it's amazing that any <laughs> parent lets their kid go to Hogwarts. Do you think... How many student casualties do you think the Whomping Willow has claimed historically? Oh, God. Like... At least one child has died. Like, but like at least are we, one, right? Yes. I need J.K. Rowling to tell me... Who died near the Whomping Willow? Where is the grave? What happened? Were they decapitated? Like, what has that Whomping Willow wrought? And that's just like a death. Like, imagine how many people have broken arms, oh, legs, yeah. bruises, whatever. Like, it's like the Sandlot, how, like, the ball goes over and there's the big dog. The Whomping Willow is 30 <laughs> of the Sandlot dogs, and it will eat you. It won't, it won't just, like, steal your ball. It will eat you. Oh, my goodness. Um, Other fun facts. There is more than one Whomping Willow in the world. It is not, like, a singular one. It is a breed, which, that's awful. And I always like to think... Professor Sprout must have loved it, right? <laughs> like, she must have loved it. It must have been her baby. Just oh, like yeah. Hagrid likes all that weird shit in the forest. No, that's like a perfect analogy. Right? Like, the Whomping Willow to Professor Sprout is like, like Aragog. Aragog to Hagrid. Spoiler alert. Coming oh. up on this list is a spider. Oh, God, Aragog. Anyway, last fun fact about the Whomping Willow is that in the movie, they actually built a real tree. You would yeah. think it's all CGI. It wasn't computer generated. It's amazing. I mean, like, parts of it were. Right. Like, but for they sure. built a big tree. Yeah. Which, if you put all the parts together, is 85 feet tall. Oh, my God. I just, like, threw up in my mouth. This is nightmare territory. I yeah. don't think I can fall asleep tonight. I don't even like trees that much, and this is, <laughs> this is pretty bad. Okay, so we're at Hogwarts now, but um, even before we get to Hogwarts, there's actually some very important people that we meet. So to jump a little bit out of order, number eight on our list of the 10 most important people who come into Harry Potter's life, the daddies. Oh my God, I love when you phrase it like that. They're the daddies. Lucius Malfoy, <laughs> Arthur Weasley, two daddies. Polar opposite daddies. Polar opposite daddies. And back to the point of the theme of the book, which is identity and this um, prejudice against muggle-born you know, half-bloods. Lucius Malfoy and Arthur Weasley represent the wizarding world's pure blood families. And it is no accident why Lucius Malfoy and Arthur Weasley are introduced together in the same book, mm -hmm. in the same scene, I mean, essentially. Yeah, it's Harry, right back to back. Yeah, Harry goes to the burrow and meets Ron's family and meets Mr. Weasley. 
And then at Borgen and Burke's, uh, Harry first sees Lucius Malfoy, and then they kind of meet. Where's Lucina? Lucius. Busy time at the ministry, Arthur. All those extra raids. I do hope they're paying you overtime. If you're judging by the state of this, I'd say not. What's the use in being a disgrace to the name of wizard if they don't even pay you well for it? We have a very different idea about what disgraces the name of wizard, Malfoy. Clearly. They represent polar opposites of what it means to be tolerant and what it means to be a pure blood family. The Malfoys and the Weasleys are both ancient families and Arthur and Lucius, they just butt heads. Right, and Arthur, he's so curious about muggles. He's got to know, like, what is a rubber duck? What is a rubber duck? Loves a muggle. And he's just very sweet and kind and nice and everything that you would expect the, like, father of the Weasley family to be. And I would say the same thing about Lucius. You know, he's everything you would expect. No, no, he's everything you would expect Draco's father to be. I mean, Draco is just this little prick and that's what (laughs) Lucius is yeah I mean a little bit of the history of these fathers I think is really helpful to know more about the Weasleys and Malfoys Arthur Weasley you know he's 44 he works at the misuse of muggle artifacts office there's a world in which he could condemn muggles but in this one he louds them and their creativity and if you go back actually the Weasleys are apparently tied to almost every old wizarding family in Britain But they apparently are always very proud to be tied to muggles. They love muggles. Whereas the little lineage of the Malfoys is fascinating. Okay, so a thousand years ago, there's a guy named Armand Malfoy, who is best friends with William the Conqueror, comes to Britain with uh, the invading Norman army. And then uh, having given some shady service to King William, the first now, Armand Malfoy is given land, which he seizes from landowners, and his descendants live there for the next 10 centuries. Wow. So that explains Malfoy Manor. Yeah. That explains how over the centuries, the Malfoys just run train on England. Um, And fascinatingly enough, here's some other interesting facts. The Malfoy family dabbles in muggle currency. So even though Lucius claims to hate muggles, his ancestors actually found that you could get wealth from both worlds. They weren't yeah. just wealthy in the wizard world. They well, were I'm not really surprised world. by that. You know, it's like taking advantage of any business opportunity yeah. that you can. It's very fitting, I think. They ran in highborn muggle circles. They were with muggle aristocrats. And so when the statute of secrecy, where wizard ha- wizards had to go underground, and I think it was the 1600s or 1500s. Also, it's not real. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> when that happened, the Malfoys were actually kind of pissed because they were bumping elbows with some really highborn people. A great story that J.K. Rowling released is that Lucius Malfoy's maybe grandfather or great-great-grandfather, the first Lucius Malfoy, tried to marry Queen Elizabeth I. Oh, my God. And then she famously never married, supposedly because Malfoy jinxed her. (laughs) I I love that. I love the audacity of J.K. Rowling to be like, yep, I'm explaining this part of history. It was a Malfoy. Um, well, it all makes sense now. Doesn't it? <laughs> I just think Lucius Malfoy, you know, back to reality, he he's not a great guy. I, I don't really understand him sometimes because he has this um, passion for Lord Voldemort. He orchestrates the opening of the Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. He essentially, the whole thing with the diary, he puts the diary in Ginny Weasley's cauldron so that it goes to Hogwarts because... Arthur Weasley had just done this raid of dark objects and Lucius's house is full of them. So he's kind of doing three things. He's getting rid of the diary. He's opening the Chamber of Secrets and he's kind of giving the middle finger to Arthur. 
But it's it's just interesting because Lucius, like, what do you even do? What is his job? He works at the ministry. I, I challenge you, fair listener. What does he actually do? All he ever does is have, like, meetings in hallways. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Put that on a business card. Right. I think the thing that's interesting about Lucius is that he, like, really wants to be bad, but he's kind of a little wimp. He kind of is. He's a wimp. He's not a good guy. He's a wimp. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not a good guy. But also interesting, Jason Isaacs, who played um, Lucius, he's given a handful of interviews about how, like, going into Chamber of Secrets, how he wanted to play this character, right? Draco's dad. And he's talked a lot about how he basically wanted to give sort of a reason as to why Draco is the way he is, which is why when you first sort of meet him, you see him bullying Draco and like grabbing him by the ear and all that kind mm. of stuff. And it really explains a lot about Draco and kind of makes you sympathetic, which is crazy, but it does. Yeah. I mean, father issues are a very big part of the Harry Potter series, weirdly, even though you don't necessarily think of them because Harry doesn't have parents. It's all about Harry finding father figures and finding parental figures in places And then you have Ron and Draco who actually have their fathers here. And it's a fascinating look at what it means to um, to be a father. And and we even see that in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which just came out, which is real big on on what it means to be a father. But also quickly about Harry. I mean, he's so even though his father isn't physically present, he's so guided by who his dad was and what kind of person he was. And he wants to be sort of this great brave man that that his dad was and and same goes for his mother but let's move let's move on to let's uh, move on the seventh most important person harry potter meets um at hogwarts this year little guy i like to call i mean everybody likes to call that's his name <laughs> colin creevy how did colin creevy bring a camera into hogwarts i feel like that's a thing that maybe they would you know check at the gate why well, it's a muggle item. I mean, God knows you're not allowed to bring... I don't know. I don't know what the restrictions are. It definitely ain't on no Hogwarts letter. Welcome to Hogwarts. You've been accepted to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Get three cauldrons, this book, and our camera. I love Colin Creevy because as annoying as he is, he you know, he treats Harry like a celebrity. He's really fun because he's the first and really only underclassman we meet. It's sort of... He represents an entire new year of kids who are probably just like Colin. They probably are just as shocked to meet Harry Potter because he's not mainstream yet. He's still an incredibly famous figure. Mm-hmm. And he Colin's just a little bit at the extreme end of it. Um, he is muggle-born. He is the son of a milkman, which is lovely. I love that. That's so cute. Imagine a milkman. I mean, does Hogwarts have a milkman? Hogwarts probably just has like a magical cow somewhere. They've got to. So Colin Creevy is <laughs> just super cool. And um, the only reason he's this high up on the list, I mean, seven is higher than the than the papas is just because Colin actually proves himself to be a really great character as the years go on. And of course Colin gets petrified. He's one of the the few who um once the chamber of secrets is opened, homie gets turned to stone. But luckily he was looking through his camera. Mm-hmm. Not like number 6 on the list, who has no business being 6 on a list, but I love him. My boy, Justin Finch hyphen Fletchley. Oh my God, you do not stop talking about JFF. I love Justin Finch Fletchley. I love the idea of these like, not even secondary characters, but like tertiary characters of Hogwarts. But what is it about Justin in particular that just causes this obsession? Well, in the movies, I'm obsessed with the actor who plays him, Edward Randall, (laughs) who you may know now from such things as 
nothing because he has one film credit and it's Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. He was not even asked back to be in the video game. So wow, sorry, man. That's a sick burn. But Justin Finch Fletchley, I just love because he's Harry's first hater. Besides Malfoy, Justin Finch Fletchley is the first person who really turns on Harry, who's not a bully and not a Slytherin. Um, he is a Hufflepuff, born and raised with with uh, Hannah Abbott and Ernie McMillan, his friends. Although I always thought Justin and Ernie were probably more than friends. I, I like Justin because it's a very pure reason why he starts to dislike Harry. Yeah. So essentially, Harry is outed as a parcel tongue when they're at this dueling club. And Harry's trying to sort of control this snake. And he commands it to back away, but it turns on Justin. And Justin starts to think, oh, my God, Harry is the heir of Slytherin. Anyway, Justin has a really pure reason to dislike Harry. It's not some crazy prejudice. It's just a genuine. I mean, it's all circumstantial, but still. So I like Justin, and he also, when Harry wins back his trust, it's sort of a microcosm of something Harry does in the whole series, which is, you know, he's doubted, but Harry forgives. Mm -hmm. Harry always forgives. He never held a grudge against Justin. No. He never held a grudge against any of the people who thought he was an heir of Slytherin, which is Harry experiencing actually rejection and being neglected and ignored and kind of shunned by his peers for the Showing first time. Showing the uh, unglamorous side of celebrity. Yeah, they they all think badly of him. They mm-hmm. think he's the heir of Slytherin. So this is the first time, and Justin really represents kind of the voice of the people. Okay, but that Harry's was more legit of a reason than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I like Justin. <laughs> Even if he did get frozen via nearly headless Nick's body. It, it wasn't his fault, you know. Last thing about Justin, I love that he was supposed to go to Eton instead of Hogwarts, But he finally convinced his mother to let him go to Hogwarts. And one of the reasons that his mother finally accepted Wizards is because Justin gave all of Lockhart's books to his mother. Oh, my God. Who found Lockhart attractive and decided that, you know, there is an advantage to having a wizard. So speaking of Gilderoy Lockhart, he's number five on our list. And I love him. He's such a delicious character. Let me introduce you to your new defense against the dark arts teacher. Me. Gilderoy Lockhart, Order of Merlin, third class, honorary member of the Dark Force Defense League, and five times winner of which weekly's most charming smile award. So he is just, he's like just so full of himself and so like maybe the most vain person in the Potter series. Oh, a hundred percent. And he... He shows a side of fame that Harry does not lean into, but Harry could have. Yeah. Just yeah, like that's Malfoy, a great point. Malfoy extended his hand to Harry in the first book and said, you know, join me. Harry said no. Lockhart is essentially doing the same thing. Join me on this pedestal, Harry. And Harry says no. I, he doesn't want a part of it. No. And there are actually, if you look online, there are some great gag photos that the cast did. Um, Daniel Radcliffe and Kenneth Branagh did this photo shoot of really awkward photos that I don't know if they ever made it into the series. They probably are in like some picture frame somewhere. Yeah. But they are hilarious. So like what's in these photos though? Just like Lockhart smiling hugely and Harry. Harry wants like nothing to do with it. (laughs) Terrified. Terrified. Harry's never taken a picture in his damn life. Mm -mm. Like the Dursleys bought him some Kodak disposables for his birthdays. (laughs) Lockhart is great. So Lockhart is a Ravenclaw. Surprisingly, he's not a Slytherin, which If you know the backstory of Lockhart before he becomes this defense against the dark arts teacher, Lockhart should by all means be a Slytherin. 
right? I mean, he's so granted he's a Muggle-born witch mother, Muggle father, mm-hmm. but he is not a Slytherin, even though he is so cunning and so ambitious. Essentially, at school, Lockhart does a couple things that J.K. Rowling has since revealed. He started a school newsletter just so he could see his name and photo in print. I mean, isn't that why we all are in journalism, Mark? <laughs> I did have a high school column called Remarks, but <laughs> that would not have flown at Hogwarts. Um, Lockhart once received a week's worth of detention for magically carving his signature in 20-foot-tall letters on the Quidditch pitch. So, like, that's obnoxious. He made an illuminated projection of his own face that he sent into the sky like the dark mark. That is insane. Insane. And finally, he sent himself 800 Valentine's cards one year. Uh, which caused an owl pileup in the Great Hall. Oh my and not God. like a physical owl pileup, but more like a uh, a droppings pileup, I'll say. Oh, yeah, so no. that breakfast was canceled. No. <laughs> it was it was everywhere. Okay, no I, I need to go back to him projecting his face. Do we know the context <laughs> for that? No, that's all we know. Oh that is all we God. know. But Lockhart is super ambitious. He just happens to be lazy. So this guy's made a career of lying about acts, heroic acts, and using memory charms to kind of um, screw up the people who did these acts, and then he would write books about them. And that's how he won Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award. I love how he talks about himself in the third person. Love it. And I love the idea of Witch Weekly. Yep. Like, who else is in Witch Weekly? <laughs> like, is it like Us Weekly? Is, is it that, like Entertainment Weekly? Like, is that where <gasps> Rita Skeeter started off? Wait, maybe. Molly, we work at Entertainment Weekly. Would we have worked at Witch Weekly in Oh, my God. I think it's very possible. It is very possible. I'm dying. Oh, my God. I've never thought about this. I need to know. J.K. Rowling, I need to know everything you know about Witch Weekly. Where can (laughs) I get it? How can I intern? So, Molly, I have a little game for you. Okay. Gilderoy Lockhart, famous for writing all sorts of books, having all sorts of adventures with abominable snowmen. Um, I'm going to give you a title, and you tell me if Gilderoy Lockhart wrote it or if it's a fake title that I just made up. We're going to call this game Gilderoy or Gilderong. Okay. Okay? I'm ready. Gilderoy or Gilderong? Break with a banshee. Gilderong. No, Gilderoy! That was like his first bestseller. Okay, number two. Voyages with vampires. Oh my God, now I feel like you're just trying to trick me. I'm going to go Gilderong. No, that was Gilderoy. That was um, his like eighth bestseller. Okay, uh, I'm Machiko just, I'm Kakatani really stressed out. It. I didn't know I was going to go through a pop quiz right now. Yeah. All right, number three. Strolls. With trolls. <laughs> okay. It's got to be Gilderong because you cannot do three Gilderites in a row. Yes. Gilderong. <laughs> okay. It was actually called Travels with Trolls. Oh, wow. That is a trick question. And it has nothing to do with the Anna Kendrick movie. Right, number four, Year with the Yeti. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to read your face. I'm going to go Gilderong. Gilderoy. You didn't read Year with the Yeti. Did no. you even go through eighth grade? Honestly, I didn't. Okay. Apparently. Next one. Moments with mummies. These titles are all starting to sound the same to me. Yeah. Welcome to Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> okay. I don't think mummies are really like a Answer the thing. question, Gilda Molly. wrong. Gilda wrong. It is Gilda wrong. You're right. <sighs> okay. So far, also, by the way, you've only guessed Gilda wrong. I know. That's because I don't want to say Gilda Roy if it's Gilda wrong. But I'll, I'll get a Gilderoy in there. <laughs> well, so far you're two out of five. Um, all right, last one. Okay. Gilderoy Lockhart's Guide to Household Pests. Gilderoy. Yes. Ooh, I, ooh. I, yeah, 50%. <laughs> great passing grade. Um, yeah, you wouldn't think that Gilderoy Lockhart 
wrote a book like that, but maybe he's kind of like the Martha Stewart of. But you uh, know why I thought it was him? Why? Because he got his name in there. You know, fair. It's very Valid. fitting with his personality. Valid girl. Mm-hmm. I like that thinking. Mm-hmm. So Gilderoy Lockhart, we love you, and obviously he's a big deal in in the book. I mean, for so many reasons. Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. And he's so. Speaking of Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers, he's so opposite of Quirrell. Like to me, it was so fun to see another teacher come in who is just so unlike his predecessor. You know. Yeah, I bet the other teachers at Hogwarts hated Lockhart but um he does kind of play a part in sort of the tail end and now we're into like the real meat because now we're into our top four characters in in Chamber of Secrets Mm -hmm. and we're into sort of the real heavy heavy things that are going on the Chamber of Secrets is open Lockhart is an idiot and our next person number four Mr. Tom Riddle Tom Marvolo Riddle now we we won't spend too much time on Tom Riddle because we're going to be talking a lot about Voldemort over the next few weeks but like we said earlier in this episode um Tom Riddle is just a fascinating person to look back on because when Harry first meets him via this diary, his diary, his magical diary, he's sort of friendly, if anything. Harry doesn't know it's Voldemort. No. And so it's a very interesting way to meet a villain that you've heard so much about, not even realizing that's who that's who it is. So Harry sort of has – I would love to know Harry's preconceived ideas of, of Tom Riddle – if he thought he was a good guy until the moment he learned he was bad. I think he did. I mean, he's surprised when he goes into the chamber finally with Lockhart and Ron to save Jenny and and he sees Tom there and he's just sort of, you know, not expecting him to be this big bad that he is. Yeah, he he was shocked because Tom was a little mysterious, a little spooky. And in the movie, you sort of see Harry really fall into the diary and go along with Tom as he confronts Dumbledore. Also... Confronts Hagrid. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting subplot here where I actually think this is a, hasn't really been explored that much, but Tom Riddle stands up for Hagrid. He turns him in, yes, because it's Hagrid who he can use to throw off the scent of opening the chamber because mm-hmm. Hagrid has been raising Aragog, this spider we're about to talk about. But there's a moment when Tom almost apologizes to Hagrid and says, I'm Rubius, I'm sorry, like I have to do this. I wonder if Tom Riddle and Hagrid were ever just truly friends the year prior, you know? I think it's possible or at the very least maybe friendly acquaintances, but I think what's, had to be. what's interesting about what you just said there is at that point, it's almost like I'd like to believe that Tom wasn't totally deceptive. Like to me, it seems like he has a bit of a conscience. Like he feels a little bad about some of the things that he's doing. Yeah. There's a part where he blasts open the box that holds Aragog and he tells Hagrid to step aside. Lord Voldemort, we know, would never tell somebody to step aside. So this is really just the birth of everything. Yeah. And what's so interesting, too, um, just about sort of what Harry thinks about this new character he's meeting, he completely trusts him because when he's going into this diary and being shown memories of what happened, he believes Tom over Hagrid. He assumes that Hagrid did the worst. Yeah. Harry learns a lot about trust in Chamber of Secrets. And actually, he learns about trust in the whole series. He learns who to trust and who not to trust in that you can't just blindly lean in. Although, yeah, blindly trusting Tom Riddle was maybe a little a little dim for But Harry, you have to but... remember how young he was still at that point. Yeah. What is this? He's 12 in this? Yeah. 13? Yeah. yeah. God, so he's, young. Because he finds out he's a wizard on his 11th birthday. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. So that brings us to number three, who we sort of talked about a little bit, Aragog. Ugh. I actually hate Aragog. I don't know why we put him at three. Why did we put him at three? Because Aragog basically leads Harry to discover the truth about who opened the chamber oh, yeah, and which the monster is my favorite that's inside. Re- that is my favorite reveal. Aragog is only cool for a, a couple reasons. One... 
his species, Acromantula. Pretty cool name, not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Two, I love the idea that it was Hagrid's like first, probably not first ever, but first like known pet. Kind of like first notable wild creature of yeah, Hagrid. It was the first time Hagrid was just like, sorry, everybody, I'm really into creatures. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Also, you got to believe Hagrid probably grew up idolizing Newt Scamander, who's the lead of Fantastic Beasts. Oh, for sure. He wrote the literally he wrote the book on yeah. Fantastic Beasts <laughs> and where to actually find them. You know that Hagrid, like in his like room in high school, had just like posters everywhere. Yeah, it is Aragog who Harry and Ron eventually get the juicy intel that one he was not the monster in the Chamber of Secrets all those years ago when Tom Riddle opened it, but two that the girl who died died in a bathroom. And that, to me, is the biggest revelation that Aragog gives is he finally gives the piece of the puzzle that says, oh, my God, it's Moaning Myrtle. Mm -hmm. And that leads them to the chamber. Like, Aragog is dropping bombs left and right. Truth bombs. Major truth bombs. He also tries to eat them, but only because he's a good father, which, again, father figures. He says, I can't let my kids go without, you know. Aragog's the ultimate father figure. Putting uh, Arthur and Lucius to shame. Chamber Secrets. It's all about daddies. Okay, but can just we just long legs. talk about quickly how terrifying that scene is when all the spiders go after them? Because oh, it's yeah. like going from first to second. Yeah, we know it's a lot edgier. But for me, that was straight up terrifying. Even re-watching it, you know, when they're like, they think they've, Ron and Harry think that they're in the clear. And then that spider comes out of nowhere. I straight up screamed. Yeah. There's nothing about Aragog that is cute. There was nothing that I like. He got Hagrid expelled, and I hate spiders. And yeah. Ron does too. Yeah, he does. Like, really? in real life, Rupert Grint hates spiders. There's this funny quote. Well, I think like everybody does. Yeah, but like, it's one thing to not like them. It's another thing to actually be afraid of them. Yeah. And he gave this fun quote at the premiere of Chamber of Secrets. He said, I hate spiders. Filming that was horrible, but it was easy to act, which I just think is so cute. Little Rupert Grint. Just, just like screaming his head off. Yep, yep. I love it. So Aragog leads us to the big girl, the big girl in the bathroom. Number two, most important person Harry Potter meets, Chamber Secrets, Moaning Myrtle. I just Who- love how specific of a character she is. Oh, yeah. We, we learn later in J.K. Rowling's tweets and, and such that her name is Myrtle Elizabeth Warren, bearing no resemblance to the um, representative Elizabeth Warren. But uh, <laughs> Moaning Myrtle, Muggleborn, Ravenclaw, got bullied, ran into a bathroom, Got murdered and never left. <laughs> Moaning Myrtle actually could have left the bathroom, but she chose to haunt it because the girl who uh, made fun of her, Olive Hornby, um, she just wanted to torment her for the rest of her time at Hogwarts. Honestly, like that's some pretty dope revenge, if you ask me. It is until she starts following her outside of Hogwarts and Olive Hornby goes to the Ministry of Magic and gets a restraining order. And Myrtle is obliged to stay at Hogwarts. Wow. Yeah. Well, so that's Myrtle... no fun. Isn't the whole point of being this like otherworldly figure that you get to haunt and torment people? Yeah. But either way, that's how she ends up in the bathroom. Uh, so it kind of explains a little bit of her her fetishes. All right. Um, Moaning Myrtle, J.K. Rowling says, has been uh, she was inspired by the frequent presence of a crying girl in communal bathrooms at parties and discos of my youth. Love that she goes to discos in her youth. Amazing. But she also says there's never a crying boy in the bathroom. So that's why she really liked the idea of putting Harry and Ron in the situation mm-hmm. with this thing that they were so unused to. Like to confront something that they probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah, and just it's hilarious. It's such great comic relief. And it's interesting too, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, with Hermione crying in the bathroom in book and movie one. Yeah, Hermione could very well, if they didn't save 
Hermione from the Troll? Oh. It could be Howling Hermione and Moaning Myrtle. They'd be best friends. <laughs> and that might be a much happier story. Her name actually, Myrtle's original name was Wailing Wanda, which I like that J.K. Rowling was just thinking like, Wailing, moaning, howling, screaming, like right, like a lot of screaming shriek- Susan, shrieking, <laughs> screaming Susan, screaming Susan Bones. Yeah, don't get me started on <laughs> SD. Anyway, so Moaning Myrtle really unlocks um, a lot for Harry and Ron when they finally get to her, and she shows them. Does she not where the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets is? In so many words, in her like cryptic ghost way. Yeah, it's they find out Myrtle is the girl the basilisk killed. It's also around this time, for chronology's sake, that they uh, realize Lockhart is a fraud. Mm-hmm. And so when they do finally put the pieces together about um, Moaning Myrtle, Harry and Ron basically drag Lockhart to the bathroom where they've learned uh, the chamber's entrance is. And once they're there, Lockhart basically backfires trying to get out of it. Yeah. And then he's kind of dazed. And, and now they're dragging him into the Chamber of Secrets, which is kind of insane. And that brings us to our last big character who is the phoenix fox number one baby number one fox the phoenix now i realize we left Ginny off this list but to be fair Ginny, one we met her in book one and two like caused all this drama so sorry Ginny, but you're not getting love on this podcast right now bye girl that's what i gotta say so fox love fox earlier harry finds his way into dumbledore's office and first meets fox He's alone. Fox bursts into flames, and Harry is mortified. As Can you even imagine be. what you would do in that situation? And it was Harry's first time in Dumbledore's office, right? It's like, sorry, I literally killed the bird. <laughs> like, I have killed many a fish in my life. Sorry, R.I.P. Like, I can't even imagine the guilt that I would feel like, watching a bird burst yeah, into flames in front killing of me. your friends, bo- or your friends' fish, or your boss's fish. Man, obviously, we learn later. Harry's wand has a feather from Fox, as does Voldemort's, um, and that's why they're brothers. So Fox is this whole mythology to him. Um, Also, Fox is just great. So in in the Chamber of Secrets, he brings the sorting hat and the sword of Gryffindor. I also just love that Fox not only saves the day, like he pokes the basilisk's eyes out, Mm-hmm. Um, he also has because if you're to look at the basilisk, that's when you die if you see it directly. Whereas yes. everybody before was only petrified because they saw it through a camera or nearly headless Nick, all yeah. of that. But like, so Fox pokes his eyes out. He has healing tears, mm-hmm. like just a casual thing. He has healing tears, and and do, he can never die. He can never die. He just re- is reborn. And do not forget that at the very end of Chamber of Secrets, when all is said and done and Voldemort's you know, diary is vanquished and Ginny's chill again, although that takes a longer time, mm-hmm. Fox lifts everyone out. He flies every <laughs> single person out of the Chamber of Secrets, holding onto his tail, Lockhart, whose memory is now gone, Ron, who, what, his, like, wasn't he, like, stuck behind rocks? He was stuff. stuck behind rocks And then with Harry, Lockhart. who's just all beat up, and Ginny, and I don't know. Fox That's is, a strong bird if I ever saw one. That is a strong-ass bird. Okay, I need to run a fan theory by you that I saw the right. other day. There's this little theory floating around that says that Harry made a horcrux out of Fox when he killed the basilisk. He did it accidentally. And since Fox is a phoenix and phoenixes live forever, Harry can also never die, which explains why he didn't die in the Forbidden Forest. Tell me how you feel. Well, my first reaction is... It makes sense. It, it gives a real reason why Harry didn't die in the Forbidden Forest mm-hmm. beyond just like Voldemort just isolated the Horcrux part of him because I, I don't think that's accurate. But 
I don't necessarily know about the idea of if Fox keeps dying and being reborn, I have to believe that the the Horcrux has to be tangible somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it's, not, it's not just like one of the ashes. Also, can you make a living creature a Horcrux without the a, a literal scar like Harry? Well, we don't know that Fox doesn't have a scar. I think it's one of those things where, yes, maybe this is possible, but I'm not sure that I'm, I so believe it that I think right. it, it's an admirable it for sure theory. happened. Yeah. And also Nagini the snake is, is a Horcrux. Yeah, that makes sense. I never thought about whether Harry has ever involuntarily made a Horcrux. They also pointed out that it's possible when he killed Professor Quirrell by literally touching his face, that maybe he made a Horcrux out of the Sorcerer's Stone, which was then destroyed, which is why we never really talk yeah. about that Horcrux as a possibility. But it's all really interesting. It's amazing right. the sort of web that fans weave. But what they point out is that when Harry was made into a Horcrux himself, it was because Voldemort was so sort of splintered into these many selves that part of his soul attached to Harry. So right. that's what they think happened here. Yeah. That it I, wasn't that he like wanted to be vicious and whatever with the basilisk, but it was that part of his soul maybe leaped off because rebounded. it was this act of violence. Interesting. Yeah. I need some time to think about this. Let's let it marinate. We'll Let's let it marinate. So that's it. Those are the 10 characters Harry meets. Obviously, a little more than 10 because we got those, we got those daddies. Mm-hmm. But, um... Now, let's turn it over to our interview. Um, we're so excited to have joining us today on the podcast, Hugh Mitchell, the star of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. He played Colin Creevy. And I love that Hugh is actually really still into the Harry Potter world. He's oh, always yeah. showing up at conventions and answering questions from fans on Twitter. So we are so excited to welcome him to the podcast. Please welcome this week's guest, the one and only Hugh Mitchell. Hugh, thank you so much for calling in. How's it going today? Yeah, it's going good. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. Yeah, uh, great. You're such a big part of the Harry Potter world because you give life to Colin Creevy. And uh, I got to know everything about Colin. I want to know from the very beginning, <laughs> um, what was asked of you in your audition? Like, what? How does they? How did they find Colin Creevy in you? Colin Creevy um, was actually not the first character that I auditioned for. Um, so when I when I initially replied to the ad that went out um, when Warner Brothers were wanting to cast for the second movie, um, it was I think it was just like a fax that came up in my school, which um, shows you how long ago it was. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, I went to um, <laughs> I went to, I went to the audition and uh, I think I initially auditioned for Justin Finch Fletchley, so a different different character. But then. Um, the audition process was so long and drawn out. I think it was like a few months after my first initial audition that I got a recall, which I think is quite quite long as uh, sort of industry standards go. But yeah, but that's 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 when I um, that's when I uh, they asked me to to read for Colin and um, yeah, it was it was Chris Columbus basically. Chris Columbus kind of making me gradually go more and more uh, insane and just kind of <laughs> kind of getting me to be crazier and crazier. Um, and we did. Um, the initial audition I had when I first met him, which was at Lucian Studios, and he basically just got me to kind of, I think we just improvised a few scenes, and he got me to kind of follow him around the room, and like I was like trying to get a picture of him really badly, and he didn't want me to take a picture, and it was just, yeah, this whole uh, spiel. But um, yeah, it was basically, I mean, he, he, he was great with all of us, really. Um, but uh, yeah, I think me in particular, he managed to kind of 
just whipped me into a bit of a frenzy. And I think by the by the sort of final takes, I was going a bit crazy. I think so was everybody else. But yeah, um, what did they yeah. Uh, what did they have you read? Were you reading straight up dialogue from the, from the script, or or was it like yeah, an yeah. acting exercise? Yeah, no. The um, I mean, the the script goes through quite a lot of changes between sort of you know audition phase and you know the final the final cut. Um, so I was reading like a sort of a longer and slightly different version of, of, of what you see in the movie. Um, and I think there's this whole thing about Colin saying about how he's down to Milkman and a bit more, a bit more of a sort of backstory because I think you need to know that Colin is like, is a muggle born. I think is the idea, you know? So I think that's, I think that, I think it was a little bit more sort of accurate to the book, um, in the initial, the initial lines, but, um, but yeah, no, they they just made me read from maybe read from the script, and then as I say, yeah, just some some improv on top of that, which I'm normally terrible at, but it seemed to go all right. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great, and of course, you know, Colin is obviously known for carrying around um, his camera. He's a big lover of photography, and from the looks of yeah. Twitter, it seems like you have that as well. I mean, is that something you've always been passionate about? Did you bring that to your role? Yeah. No, I mean to be honest, at, at that at that stage, I had absolutely no interest in photography. It's really, it's really been quite a recent thing for me, um, uh, getting interested in in photography and kind of learning about how actual, like you know, how it actually works. You know, there's a lot of kind of, you know, especially now where you can just basically get your phone and take pictures of stuff and it and it will calculate you know everything for you and do a lot of the work for you. And, and yeah, I think I've just got more interested in sort of. You know, going going the manual approach and, uh, and learning all about it. But yeah, no. Initially, I didn't I didn't have any interest in, in photography. Or, but Colin's more of a he's not really a photographer, is he? He's just a fanatic. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's just a millennial. He was the first millennial. That's what he was. Oh yeah, yeah. I think he would have invented the selfie if it hadn't been um, if it had been the right time. Um, <laughs> So then, how many different cameras did they test out for you? And you know, was it heavy? What were the flash bulbs like? All of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, the prop the props department on those films was insane. I mean, they had you know warehouses full of all this stuff, kind of intricately made. Um, you know, there would be people who would be working on you know tiny little you know pages of books and things, things you know things that you would never actually see in the final cut. You know, in all likelihood, but um, I think you know they needed to have that sort of that realism where everything was was, was sort of authentic and um, the cameras I, I, I assume that there was there was more than one camera basically I was just you know it was just thrust into my hands at the start of the take and then I was I was absolutely and rightly not trusted with it um, in between <laughs> um, yeah it was it was this it was this old school um, Argus camera which had this flashbulb but um, it was pretty much one guy's I mean it wasn't his entire job but that day you know, the days where I was there, his entire job was basically taking the bulb out after I would take a picture with it, because the bulb would, would basically explode um, every time I took a picture. And he would he would take the bulb out, and then he had this, you know, huge box of bulbs, and he would replace the bulb, and, you know, there'd be all that um, in between takes, and that was probably, yeah, he was probably glad to have that job uh, <laughs> change after that. And that's a lot of pressure yeah. for someone, you were 11 at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was 11, yeah, I think I was 11, just just going on 12, um, but yeah, I mean, I was, it was, um, the, the, whole, the whole thing was kind of crazy um, to, to be doing as a kid, but, but also being really young, I, I don't think I had the sort of, the sense of perspective, you know, that I, that I sort of do now, so I knew it was a big film, and I knew it was, you know, sort of bizarre and surreal and, and weird, but yeah, I don't know, I think I, yeah. Uh, 
I think I would I'd, I'd feel differently about it if you know if I if I went and, if I went back and did it now. But um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely definitely scary as a as a kid when you uh, well were you, you kind of go on to that. How did you rely on you know Dan, Emma, and Rupert because they had only had one film under their belt? So I imagine you were all taking yeah. class together. Were you, you were all doing school during the day together, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, we were. Yeah, we were. We were legally required to still be in education. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically, they'd have they'd have on, on these brilliant on-set tutors, um, and but they I think they had like a small army of them basically because they had so many. I mean, it wasn't just you know the, the sort of Dan Rupert and Emma, it was it was everybody really, you know, they had extras in from, you know, uh, sort of drama schools and, you know, they had hundreds of kids that basically they needed to, to keep, you know, in school uh, somehow whilst they whilst they shot this film. So, um, so yeah, we would be, we would go and do, you know, go and do maths and stuff, you know, in between, uh, in between scenes. And actually there was one quite memorable uh, moment where we were all, I think we were filming, and I think it was, one of the cathedrals, it was either Durham or Gloucester, I think it might have been Durham, um, when they were still, you know, shooting on location and not just in, you know, not just on sets that they'd built. Uh, and we were all, we were all studying in the, the kind of crypt. So they put us, they, they put us all in the crypt and yeah, there was one moment where I sort of put my head up and looked around and saw all these people sitting in, you know, Hogwarts school uniforms working on, you know, their schoolwork in a crypt and it all felt very authentic except for the fact that, you know, we were doing, you know, Geography and stuff, and not uh, potions, but um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean they they did a very good job of keeping everybody, uh, you know, taken over with their with their schoolwork. But um, yeah, it was kind of got in the way a little bit. Mark just mentioned that Dan, Emma, and Rupert. Of course, they only had one film under their belt, but that was still one right, film right. that they had on you. Is there any sort of advice that they passed on to you? Um, and and how did they welcome you into this world? I mean, that they definitely made me feel like at ease I would say I mean yeah I mean obviously Dan had done the one film but I remember actually when I showed up for the uh, for the read through it was actually Dan that came and introduced himself to me um, and he was you know I, I think even then he was very approachable quite quite forward you know very chatty friendly friendly guy so yeah I mean I was a bit of a nervous wreck when I showed up for, that, for the for the read through but he was great and they were you know they were all nice actually you know they all made me feel pretty much you know I I, I suppose there's that there's that initial kind of moment of oh my god it's you know done it right definitely but you know but very quickly actually especially once you start getting into the kind of um, the tedium of loads and loads of takes um, <laughs> you, you quite quickly sort of become you know just you know you realise they're just normal people like you and me and you know they um yeah no they were, they were, they were all great actually yeah. yeah what was your last day on set like you know if you were nervous coming into this whole thing you know by the end when you you had gone through the whole film already uh, do you remember your, yeah. your last day I'm not sure I do um it's weird it's weird that I don't think about it now um but I don't know I'm not sure if I think it might be because I'm not sure when my last day was um you know I, I think sort of shooting schedules can you know chop and change and sometimes you don't always know you know if you're if you're come back or not but yeah i mean that, i mean I'm, I'm, i must have done but yeah i can't i can't really you definitely didn't like steal the camera though so <laughs> that much we know uh yeah yeah i know they didn't they didn't really let me keep anything the only the only one thing i get i got to keep was um a slightly creepy uh like plaster cast of my face that was left over from when they made the the colin uh, latex 
oh my model, God. which they made for uh, the, the the scene where, where Colin is brought in, having been petrified. Oh my God! Wait, um, what was that like to like make a mold of your face and see your, yeah. yourself petrified? Well, it wasn't just my face; it was it was a full body cast. So yeah, I think it was about it was basically a, a day um, of just kind of standing in the position, you know, kind of holding the camera to my face while they basically slathered me in this kind of latex stuff that then solidified and then they wrap you up like a mummy um, and then they kind of saw it open and <laughs> and prize you out um, and that was yeah that was that was that was quite a memorable day oh my um, God. the gritty yeah, truth again. of Colin Creevy <laughs> yeah I know yeah <laughs> but um, yeah that was that was that was a bit mental but again the detail that they went into like with that I think they even like took pictures of my eyes and made sure it had the right colored eyes and everything like that so yeah mental. so do you still have this mask lying around at home do you know what i just um the other day i just went to visit my parents because they're moving out of the house that i was living in at the time and um i just went to you know collect a bunch of you know old stuff of mine and uh it include it includes the mask um so yeah i've got it <laughs> i've got it sitting in my oh cupboard my now God. So. i'm not too sure what to do with it <laughs> but, wear it um yeah well i don't i mean it's kind of a heavy plaster i couldn't really wear it but i don't know maybe yeah. I'll, I'll have to think of something so uh, chamber of the secret chamber of secrets excuse me um came out in november 2002 um and yeah. the next summer order of the phoenix comes out and of course colin plays a big part in that you know what was it like reading that book being Colin now I mean uh, that's your role that's your character how did you sort of yeah interpret that? I was looking at the books you know even before you know we started shoot, I, you know I did I did any scenes and it was kind of that thing of reading the reading the character and thinking how am I going to do that uh, <laughs> but um yeah I don't know I, su- I suppose there's, there's there will always be like a certain perspective now that I look at you know that I look at the books with and look at the characters with and it's you know not not just Colin but you know the whole you know, looking at sort of scenes in certain locations and remembering those locations or remembering the sets and stuff. Um, but when the final book came out, people would, people, because I hadn't even, I wasn't the, like the first to read it. Um, I remember people, people were kind of going up to me and being like, I heard about what happened. Are you okay? Um, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> fine. Oh my God. Um, it's a weird thing to, to, you know, to look back on, but, um, yeah. But yeah. Do you think do you think um Colin uh deserved the fate he was awarded? Uh, um you know I there's there's a there's a, a sort of prevailing opinion but I think uh Jake Rowling got a bit a bit trigger happy towards the end you know a little <laughs> bit like oh screw it kill him as well you know um, <laughs> so I don't know I think there's a certain poignancy to 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 Colin's death just because he he was that sort of picture of innocence um, and also, you know, bravery, the whole thing of, you know, sneaking back into the castle, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people were, were pretty cut up, actually, <laughs> about Colin's death. Yeah. What did you always want to know about Colin that you never got to find out? I mean, you know, J.K. Rowling loves to fill in blanks on her Twitter now. What did you want to know about Colin? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, like you said, there's there's a whole load of, there's a whole load of fan fiction that I've seen, and loads of you know people love to kind of look into the backstories and stuff. I don't know. I think with Colin, it was always like trying to um, picture that person in real life. You know, that sort of that 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 uber geek, basically, um, which I think wasn't so much of a stereotype 
back then. I think I think now we have more of this picture of you know the kind of um, lunatic fan who kind of follows you know follows their their idols around. But Colin, the, the funny thing about Colin is that he was never you know he he was that, but never in a bad way because he had Rita Skeeter, who was obviously like the kind of you know the a very negative portrayal of basically the media. The Hogwarts um, media, yeah. Yeah. Um but but Colin Colin was never was never that in a was never that in a bad way. So it was that sort of challenge of having him not be so annoying and so, you know, unbearable that, you know, you actually really hate him. You know, you've got to, you've got to still basically like Colin, I think. Um so that was that was probably one of the one of the trickiest sides of him but you know, I think I think he was, you know, he was he was well enough written that you know I didn't have I didn't have too many questions about him. I think. Yeah, there's definitely still a sweetness to him despite his um, pestering. Yeah, I'd say. right. Um, yeah, Hugh, you were just talking about the books that you've read, so we're curious: Have you read Cursed Child, and have you made it out to see the play? No, I haven't read it yet because I was wanting to see the play before I have read it, and. Um, I have not been able to get tickets, <laughs> basically. Um, I'll see it. I will definitely see it at some point. But, yeah, it's um, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's definitely um, going strong. What um, Yeah. Hugh, give us a sense of the fan love you saw for Colin over the years. Um, you know, people love Harry Potter, of course, but what was yeah. it, what did people, what was the craziest thing you ever heard about Colin? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I've 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 met a lot of people because I've done quite a few sort of comic cons and that and that kind of thing, um, especially recently actually. Um, mm-hmm. And I've met a lot of people who are you know obviously super passionate about about the books, you know, about particular characters like Colin. So I don't know. Just 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 seeing it on people's, you know, there was there was someone I met recently at a comic con who was she was talking about Colin and you know how. She was so upset when he died, and you know, it was you, you know, you can you could see a, a genuine. She was getting genuinely emotional about it, you know. And these are, you know, obviously these are these are fictional characters. But when you when you see somebody getting, you know, properly worked up about it, um, that sort of that sort of hits home a little bit, you know. The kind of I suppose the the scale of you know the the immersion that you know people get with with the book. So. So do you still have a number of fan encounters? I mean, because obviously Harry Potter is still going so strong, and I imagine, you know, as as new generations are coming to it by either way of Fantastic Beasts or Cursed Child, they're probably going back and revisiting, you know, their right. original movies. So are yeah. you still stopped on the street? Do people still tweet at you all the time? What's that like for you? I think there has, I think you're right. I think there has, there has been a resurgence of the, you know, of, of Harry Potter in the, in the kind of cultural scene. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I rarely get stopped or people, you know, approach me. I think, you know, part of it being that I'm now 15 years older and you know, <laughs> less recognizable and, you know, and also it's, it's not a, it's not a recent movie, you know, it's, um, so, you know, I, 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 I managed, I managed to, to get by without being, you know, <laughs> without being approached by people in the street. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely, a, um, like I said, I, you know, I've been doing more more comic cons recently, and there's been more of a more of an interest in Harry Potter. So, um, yeah, you can definitely you definitely get a get a sense of it, and also just stuff that they're doing, like with the with this with the studio tour that I went to recently. Um, mm. You know, there's it's it's still it's still very much very much alive, you know, and people <laughs> people are still crazy about it. So, um, yeah, 
Well, they should yeah. put uh, they should put your your face mask in that studio tour. <laughs> oh, they should. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it would disturb. I think you'd have some crying children. Yeah, that, <laughs> would, that would be awful. Uh, wait, yeah. so wait. You say people don't recognize you necessarily, but what about like? Do you ever meet people and they just think you're you know regular guy, regular Hugh, and then you like drop the knowledge that oh yeah, by the way, I you know. I was Colin Creevy. <laughs> yeah, that has happened a few times. And then, and then what? And then what people say is, "Oh, you didn't say anything before." I'm like, "Well, I don't. It's, it's not my. It's not my opening. You know, I don't. <laughs> so I, I don't meet new people and be like, hi, you Mitchell Colin Creevy.' Uh, I don't know if you, uh, don't know if you've seen it. Oh my god, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to believe, but some people haven't actually. You know, some, there are people who actually don't know. Uh, who Colin Creevy is? Actually, I think I'm pretty sure my my girlfriend didn't know that I was that I'd been it when we first met. How Wait, long um, How long did it take so, you to tell her? Um, I don't know if I even told her. I think her friends told her uh, eventually, um, but it was probably it was probably I don't know, maybe like a few weeks or something. I'm not I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely wasn't my my yeah my opening line. That's so funny. <laughs> Hugh, I mean, obviously we talked about Fantastic Beasts and Cursed Child. Um, there's a new theme park right. that just opened in Los Angeles. And, of course, you mentioned the studio tour. Um, right. What do you think of the ways that the series has continued? And, and where do you expect it to go from here? I mean, it's it's it will be like, you know, I mean, if you look, if you look at any, if you look at something like Star Wars, uh, for example, you know, there are still conventions and there's still, well, there's movies being made, obviously, now, but, you know, uh, I, I, think, I think it's just going to be one of those undying um, phenomenons, I suppose, um, that, you know, you can, because it's such a, it's, it's such a rich kind of world and you can, you can draw so many things from it, you know, and so, you know, you can, you can, you can do theme park rides and you can do, you know, cosplay for it and all that stuff so i i think it will be a, you know i think it'll be on a you know on a par with kind of star trek and star wars and doctor who and a lot of the rings and you know it'll have a an enduring uh kind of uh potential to it in that respect i think yeah yeah call it colin creevy's backstory maybe he'll get a prequel he'll get a, <laughs> right? he'll get a full-on movie oh my god It'll Imagine. be the rogue yeah. one of Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for, for, for giving us a call and jumping on our podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. That's my it. pleasure. Um, no, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah of any, course. Any, any lingering thought on Colin Creevy? The last message about Colin Creevy to put out into the world? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess I just want to thank people for uh, not being too annoyed by him. <laughs> um, That's fair. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you very much. Thanks so much, yeah, man. Great. We really okay. appreciate uh, yeah. chatting no, with you. No, it's been great talking to you. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Yeah. Take Cheers. care. All right. All right. Best. Bye. Thanks. Well, that's it for Chamber of Secrets. Thank you to our special guest this week, Hugh Mitchell, for um, sharing with us Colin Creevy's final moments before death. And thank you all for listening. If you're enjoying our podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a rating, share us with your friends, and write about us in your diaries. Next week, of course, is Prisoner of Azkaban. And we are going to go in deep on Patronuses. Patroni? So we want to know, share with us your Patronus. Tweet us. Email us. Um, we need to know. We need to know your input and whether or not you agree with your Patronus choice. Yes. Send us an email at binge at ew.com and tweet us at cmollysmith or Mark Snedeker. Also, next week's special guest... Um, it's someone that has to do with the Daily Prophet, the Marauder's Map, and a Time Turner. Do you have any idea? 
All I know is it's exciting. Very exciting stuff, guys. <laughs> See you be, next week. That could be anyone. See you next week. <laughs>